Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, January 30th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, I don't know when you're going to put this out, but despite our events on Monday night, we are recording late on Monday night. Uh, so this might come out on time if you want to do if you want to edit it tonight or it might come out a little bit later as originally planned. But apparently we had very different experiences at the theater last night. I saw the wonderful, the, the endearing, the, the heartfelt former vice president of the United States, Mr. Joe Biden, along with ABC's Elizabeth Vargas as the kind of the interviewer moderator. It was wonderful. It was lovely. It was charming. He talked about his new book, Promise Me Dad, which was about dealing with the death of his son, Bo. You went over to Second Stage and saw the new play, Cardinal, which was not as lovely and endearing as our former vice president was, apparently. I did not see Joe Biden. No, I did not. <laughs> Um, I, I assume you'll be saving your full review for Sunday, but you want to give us a, a quick snapshot? It's not open, so I can't. Uh, I stand corrected. So maybe you want to edit that whole thing out. So I uh, no, no, didn't okay. realize. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, tomorrow. Openings, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm head over heels about theater. Oh, wait. First up in the news, head over heels to officially open at the Hudson Theater this summer. Yes, last night, live at the Bowery Ballroom, the Go-Go's and director Michael Mayer confirmed that their musical Head Over Heels will in fact be coming to Broadway this summer at the Hudson Theater. After a four-week engagement at San Francisco's Curran Theater, the show will begin performances on Broadway on June 23rd with an opening night slated for July 26th. While the Broadway dates are new, the Hudson and the general time frame of this summer was originally, originally reported by Michael Riedel. However, James, what is completely new is the casting. And I have to say, well, I have been very open, much to people's chagrin on the tweeter machine. Um, I've been pretty down on uh, on this show, just kind of on the principles and the weirdness of it and the lead producer. But I got to admit, some members of this cast have me very intrigued. Uh, the principal cast includes Andrew Durant, Taylor Amon Jones, Jeremy Kushner of James's beloved Paramore, Cabaret, <laughs> uh, New York Cabaret and Kinky Boots tour favorite Belton Bonnie Milligan in her Broadway debut. Peppermint, who uh, came to fame on RuPaul's Drag Race and, according to the production, will become the first trans woman actress to create a principal role on Broadway. The rest of the principals include Tom Allen Robbins, Alexandra Soka and James, one of your favorites, Rachel York. Uh, Now, I have to admit I'm unfamiliar with Peppermint, whom I think will get a lot of the headlines and discussion in the lead up to this show coming to Broadway. But I'm a big fan of of Bonnie and, and Alexandra. And if people haven't seen Rachel York singing Paris Makes Me Horny from Victor Victoria, look it up. She is hysterical. There's a video on YouTube. It is phenomenal. She's great. Now, James, I'm reserving judgment on this a little more than I have in the past, just by the virtue of this fantastic cast. But the show's producers are what seems to have interested you the most. We already knew about Gwyneth Paltrow and her ex-boyfriend Donovan Leach. But the other producers are someone named Rick Ferrari. Yes, that's his name. He's a Hollywood talent agent. Then we've got a couple of um, Broadway-ish type people. Christine Russell, who is the executive producer on Beautiful, along with regular Broadway producer uh, Louise Gund. But then at the end here, three people just tacked on at the end after everybody else was a 
a list of three very oddly eclectic heavy hitters who it seems kind of like they're out of their normal lanes and trajectories. That is Hunter Arnold, Tom Curtihy, and Jordan Roth. Interestingly enough, Jordan Roth, the president of Jujamson, uh, the Hudson Theater, is owned by uh, the Ambassador Theater Group. So he's producing something outside of his his own organization. That's He's done things like this before, but it's interesting still. Tom Curtihy is the husband and producing partner of, of Terrence McNally. And uh, this is not a show that Terrence is involved with. And Hunter Arnold, who does everything i mean he's all over the place but it just seems like something he doesn't normally work with these guys so it's a very weird thing here james yeah i mean you mix all these producers up and you have just a ton of goop did that work i don't know if that worked it, i think it worked i think i mean there's a lot of setup just for that but i think yeah, it, worked. it was i appreciate the setup you're the straight man yeah. Yes. Yes. Guilty. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it, it, typically I, I'm, you know what I should re I, sh I withdraw. I have, I ask permission to withdraw the word typically. Okay. Permission think, granted. I think that Broadway producers are usually listed from top to bottom in the order of importance, but yet, it seems like at the end we had a big crescendo, Hunter Arnold, Tom Curdy, and Jordan Roth, you know? So it's interesting to see, will we see more tie-ups between Jude Jamson and the Ambassador Theater Group in the future? You know, uh, Jude Jamson has five five theaters? Are they five theaters? I think they are. Uh, well, let me consult my list here. Jude Jamson has one, two... Three, four Broadway theaters. The August, uh, no, out, no, five. You're right. Hirschfeld, Wilson, O'Neill, St. James, and Kerr. And so, with Jude Jamson being the smallest of the big three producing organizations, uh, forming uh, alliances as they do on uh, some reality television series uh, <laughs> with another group might be in. Uh, beneficial. So I just thought that that was very interesting. And uh, the other aspect of it is, is that it, it Gwyneth Paltrow, I think that this is for her first delve into Broadway and she's going to need, yeah. she's going to need Hunter, Tom and Jordan to guide her through the landmine of, of the uh, intricacies of producing yeah. on Broadway. So Absolutely. That's, that's great. Yeah. And one thing that we learned because of this, that means that we now know what is going into the Hudson Theater officially after the Parisian Woman closes in March. That means that even though that will technically be a part of next season, that there are t just two theaters that have openings for either the spring into the summer. Those would be the Court Theater. And the Nederlander. Now, of course, the Nederlander has Pretty Woman coming in uh, just a, f a few weeks after Head Over Heels. So I guess you could technically consider that coming in in the summer as well, even though its opening is, you know, in late summer in August. So I'm guessing they're not putting anything in the Nederlander in the meantime. But we still don't know what, if anything, is going into the court. We've talked about before their renovations and they're adding on an annex. We don't know when that is going to take place. Are they holding it open, hoping that the construction begin this spring so they can get over with as soon as possible. But if not, that's really the only Broadway house that is open for this spring. Hmm. 
and we'll have to see who fights it out to the death for it. I uh, walked by the Broadway Theater uh, this weekend, and the Rocktopia marquee is up. Uh, so that looks like all uh, all things are go there. So um, it looks like there won't be too many surprises in announcements this spring, right? I mean, not for this season, um, yeah. but maybe maybe starting into next season. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of been a weird thing when we have all of these things being announced so far in advance. But then also we've got like at least four shows opening or at least beginning performances uh, in June and July between Head Over Heels, getting the band back together, Straight White Men, which is, again, that's uh, subscription. So that's a little bit different. Um, and Pretty Woman. We also know Cher is currently scheduled to come in in the fall already. Um, and then King Kong late. And then the, the prom uh, as well coming in, supposedly at a Schubert Theater to be named later. Um, in November. So, I mean, a lot of things being announced way in advance, but uh, what's even more interesting is that they're coming in more and more over the summer. So kind of weird, kind of kooky, but you got to upset the, the apple cart sometimes to make something work. All right. There's only 144 days left until Rachel York is back on Broadway. <laughs> Did you really just figure that out? I don't know what you mean. All right. <laughs> uh, last week's Broadway grosses. Yes, for the most part, Broadway receipts stayed pretty steady, dropping just uh, 0.58% to $27,684,234 last week. But remember that we are down a show from the previous frame after the closing of Meteor Shower. 12 of Broadway's 26 shows saw week-to-week -week gains, so obviously 14 subsequently saw declines. But with one very notable exception, which we'll talk about momentarily, all of the figures were fairly modest. Um, you know, in the $10,000, $20,000 range, I think there was one up at eighty-two or something. But for the most part, fairly modest, whether they were in the black or red notwithstanding. That one exception, of course, was the first full week of Bernadette Peters and Hello Dolly. The show only played two performances the week before, so of course it shot up $799,565 in the first full eight performance week with the new principals. That put it at $1,171,765, not bet Midler territory, but certainly not bad for this time of the Broadway calendar. Hamilton, again, inched incrementally down, but still stayed north of $3 million, coming in at $3,086,536. Springsteen on Broadway was at $2.4 million, followed by Lion King at $1.8-ish, Dear Evan Hansen at $1.7-ish, and Waitress riding strong on the wave of pop stardom to $1.6 million. The other shows above $1 million were Wicked, Aladdin, Come From Away, The Book of Mormon, and the aforementioned Dolly. The band's visit was just over $11,000 shy of the seven-figure club. The bottom five shows on the grosses ladder were all plays, starting at the bottom and working up. We had MTC's The Children, The Play That Goes Wrong, John Lithgow's Story by, Stories by Heart, The Parisian Woman, and Latin History from Morons. Despite it being the dead of the slow winter period, half of the shows on Broadway grossed more than 80% of their potential, and only six were below 60%. Unfortunately, one of those shows that was below 60% of its gross potential is SpongeBob SquarePants. Even though the show did a healthy $810,149, it is a far cry from its $1.4 million potential. Now, James, I'm not putting that one on any kind of watch just yet. Miss Cleo is not ready to warm up um, her crystal ball in that category, but it's one I'd keep an eye on because that 
gross potential percentage number, um, being down at 57.1% is probably going to be underneath what their weekly nut is. Um, who knows how much they have in reserve, how much they were able to save during the holidays. But too many weeks down there that low for a musical that big um, can be daunting. And just depends on how long they can ride it out and hopefully get back to spring breaks and summers. Conversely, Once on This Island, a show that opened at about the same time uh, last year, only grossed $599,476. But was at 75.7% of potential, so it's looking slightly healthier. Of course, the difference being there as well, it is a much smaller show than SpongeBob SquarePants is. So a few things. SpongeBob SquarePants, produced by Nickelodeon, or not Nickelodeon? Yeah. Yes, yes, Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon. I I don't think that they're concerned about money. Uh, They're not going to run out of money. But if there's a stop clause in uh, in the theater then there's an issue there but uh, i'm sure that they're not concerned about it and they're going to no. they're going to wait it out until students and families get back to the theater uh the other thing is is that i'm wonder how if there was any impact upon the visitors to broadway con going to see shows hmm. i'm sure that everybody came into town and saw shows and so uh do you think see i would think it would be the opposite i would think that all of the Broadway obsessives that came into town, um, maybe they came in a day early or something, but they, at least during the convention, I would think they would be holed up at the Javits Center, not doing anything other than the convention. I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems with all the, the different panels running from you know morning to night that there was plenty of uh, for them to do there, wasn't there? Um, I know what you're saying, but I... I uh... In previous years, when we've had Broadway Radio listeners come in, they've all, you know, mentioned to me uh, that they're going, they're see, they're going to Broadway Con and they're going to go see some shows and things like that. So, again, okay. I, I'm just, I just wonder. I, I don't have any any facts yeah. to to back this up or anything like that. Uh, there was a third point, but it has eluded me. <laughs> so Broadway, Con, it's late. Like I said. Yeah, hey, and it, we're, we're oh, oh, and the other thing is, is that uh, the weather has been pretty good in the last week, and uh, it is snowing on Monday night right now as we're speaking. So Tuesday might be a little bit messy, but I don't know if that's going to affect this week's grosses. But I wonder how we did last week with having such great weather last week. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So next up in the news, this was all the talk today. <laughs> it was everything. All, this was this was. The entire day. Ben and Patty at the Grammys. Yeah, James, as I said, we recorded yesterday's show just after the Grammys had started, hours before Ben Platt and Patty LaPone yeah. performed, because uh, that thing was long. Um, but <laughs> if you were on social media, if you were on Broadway World's message boards yesterday, and that's part of my job, so I w- I'm on those message boards all the time. Everybody had opinions on what happened at the Grammys. Ben Platt saying somewhere from West Side Story in a tribute to Leonard Bernstein. Patti Lapone saying don't cry for me, Argentina, as presumably, ironically, a tribute to Andrew Lloyd Webber. And for my ears, I thought they both were fantastic. I, of course, always lean a little bit 
heavier to the Patty Lapone side of any uh, discussion, but I thought Ben sounded great. Um, Ben's got a very kind of acquired taste and voice that vibrato, uh, that fast vibrato is not something that I normally like, but with him, it just kind of works. I thought he sounded fantastic. I loved the arrangement. Patty Lapone proved in the original key that there is no one better. As far as I'm concerned, James, she was fantastic. And I am so ready for a revival of Evita with Patty Lapone and Mandy Patinkin. Get Bob Gunton in. He's done, he, he does like five billion TV shows a season. Just get him back on Broadway. Get the whole original cast for all I care. She, she fantastic. I've got it saved on my DVR and I'm not deleting it. I know I've got it on. You know I've got the links in the show notes if you want to watch. But there, I want to see it on my TV. Um, I thought it was fantastic. So people had things had they had nits to pick with each of them. Uh, get out of here. I don't want to hear them. They were great. I loved it. That's, uh, I'm, I think that I saw so many social media postings that were just, that were just theatrical people over the moon excited about how good that both of them were. (laughs) And, uh, that's so exciting to see. Yeah. Especially when you compare them to, no, I watched a lot of the Grammys. I didn't watch all of it, but, um, you know, there were some good performances. I thought Pink was r- phenomenal. I thought Lady Gaga was great. Bruno Mars was a lot of fun with uh, Cardi B. Um, I saw some other things. Kesha was fantastic. So there were some good performances. But there's just a difference between pop stars and rock stars and, and hip hop stars doing something live. Uh, Donald Glover or, or uh, Childish Gambino was fantastic. Um but there's just a difference when you get Broadway people singing live. The consistency, the quality of their voice um, was great. It, it just it, it just to me raised it in terms of the performance level. And I'm not the Grammys target demographic because I don't listen to a lot of pop music. But um, I was blown away at, at kind of how that raised the game for everybody else. And the Grammys being in New York and at Madison Square Garden, what's yep. the talk in the in the pop culture world and the uh, and the people outside of the Broadway sphere of influence? Uh, did they give props to New York or are they just heading back to Los Angeles? Oh, I'm sure they uh, uh, they got their soy macchiato things and got on a plane straight back, but. I thought it was great. I mean, just watching it, I I thought it was a great night. Um, I think James Corden did very well, moved things along, was was funny, had the little bit with fire and fury. I thought it was I thought it went very well. There's a lot of things that I think people are nitpicking um, in the awards. Um, I don't know enough about the pop music to comment on that. I do think the whole thing with Lord not performing because of how they kind of pushed her out despite being record of the year nominee or album of the year. I get them all confused. So that was a problem. But for the most part, I think it went really well. And uh, I loved the fact that Broadway represented and, and uh, you know, I think the more Broadway we can get on the Grammys, the better the Grammys will end up being as far as I'm concerned. Do you think there's any chance that Patty Lapone and Ben Platt sat down and sat down with Gaga and said, really, you need to spend some time here in New York? Uh, her and Kelly Clarkson presented, presented as well. Um, you know, she actually presented with one of the Jonas brothers. I don't know which Jonas it was, but <laughs> I think, I think it was the one that did hairspray. Didn't, didn't a Jonas do a hairspray at some I point like in that, like yeah. a, at the Hollywood bowl or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, I, Kelly Clarkson and Lady Gaga, uh, I think, need to be there, need to need to figure out a way to do a musical, whether it's on Broadway or do one of the live musicals. I'm personally pushing for CBS to do a Vita live with Patti Lapone, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move forward into our next story, which is Colin Hanlon to replace Brandon Uranowitz in One Night Next to Normal. Yeah, James, we've talked about this before. The Quintessence of Dust Theater Company is doing a one night only uh, reading present staged reading presentation of the Pulitzer Prize and Tony winning musical Next to Normal. That's coming up on this Thursday at uh, February 1st at 7 p.m. at the JCC Manhattan on the Upper West Side. The show will feature the incredible Broadway talents of Christiane Knoll, Darius DeHaas, Devin Elaw, Christina Alabado, F. Michael Haney, and supposed to have been two-time Tony nominee Brandon Uranowitz. However, due to illness, he has been replaced by Colin Hanlon, who I first knew of because of the great um, web series that we hosted here on Broadway World called um, Submissions Only. But ironically enough, Colin Hanlon was an understudy for all of the male roles in falsettos, which Brandon Uranowitz was obviously nominated for a Tony for. So it's nice that he's slipping in as the doctors to replace Brandon Uranowitz. General admission tickets for the events are $80 and can be purchased online. We will have a link in the show notes at broadwayradio.com if you want to check that out. Do you remember when Next to Normal first came to Broadway and uh, that that quaint little stunt where they text, they um, they tweeted the whole Next to Normal script? No, I don't remember that. I'm, that might have been before I was on the Twitter. Ah. I'm usually not good with social media. I'm very behind on these things. Yeah. So I was wondering if maybe they'll do something special uh, that night as well on the Twitter. Yeah, maybe. And update it. You know, it's, uh, Twitter was the big rage when Next to Normal uh, first opened. Maybe they could Instagram the whole thing. Yeah, it, Twitter was all the rage when it opens. Now it's actually leading to the pure, unadulterated destruction of the uh, universe and all of humankind. Yes, it's the end of humanity as we know it. <laughs> it, it is the it, it. The Twitter alone is just the four horsemen itself. Yeah, it's all four of them. Yes, pestilence, exactly. war, <laughs> famine. Exactly. All right. On that good note, why don't you get us out of here? <laughs> Always good to end an episode on pestilence and famine and war. And I forget the other one. Anyway, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter at PWMAT and subscribe to Soul Mega Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. I think the fourth one is George. Everybody forgets George. <laughs> <laughs> Norm. <laughs> and my name is James Reno from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. It's only 144 days until Rachel York is back on Broadway. So uh, please come back on Wednesday and talk with us then. 